I wanted to speak to you this morning about the fact that we are blessed <laughs> and we're blessed in order to be a blessing I don't think any of us would deny that we are blessed there, there might be some who don't feel that way and I understand some some folks are going through difficult times and some people maybe don't understand what it means really to be blessed of God and let me assure you that above all if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior you are blessed if you don't if you're unsure about your status before God as far as uh, forgiveness of sin as far as eternal life let me assure you that you live in a place that is greatly blessed as well you live in a country you live in an area you live in a town where the gospel is preached very much very boldly and where Christian people are available they're around you you're in contact with them and uh, you're blessed because the Word of God is in your midst you may not understand it that way at this moment that's fine but I'm telling you <laughs> that you are blessed we're all blessed we're all blessed greatly but why is that are we just just here on this earth to receive blessing are we just here just to 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 revel in the goodness of God to us it is so good to know God and and I, I just want to talk a little bit about the blessings that we have and 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 the fact that we are commanded to 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 be a blessing as well it is a command first of all and I know that sometimes that sort of grates on us doesn't it <laughs> I'm commanded to do something if you why don't you just ask me to do it why don't you just you know come along and say would you please do this we, we react to that normally humanly uh, a lot better don't we but the fact is it is a command and we're going to start with that we're going to start with the the harshest part of, of of what this be a blessing to others really is and it is a command we're commanded to bless others we have to go back and and take a look at this idea of being blessed uh, in order to set the table for this Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 talks about how we're blessed uh, by our God and, and through our Lord Jesus Christ and we're blessed with blessings that we can't even comprehend uh, we know the blessings that we sense around us, those things that we have or, or that pertain to us or pertain to our, our lives here on this earth, and we, we certainly enjoy those. But the Bible tells us that we've been blessed in, with spiritual blessings in heavenly places, things that we just, we just can't completely put our minds on, but we sure do try, don't we? We sure do love to think about it. We, we just enjoy thinking about our mansion in heaven. We enjoy thinking about the time where we're going to spend eternity with our Lord in heaven. And that is a tremendous blessing. Jesus talked about blessing others, and he did so in a command. He said, you, you, you have something. He couldn't command us to do something, to give something that we didn't have. And he said in another place, he's, he said that, that uh, uh, you, you, um, you need to, to, to give that of that which you have. And of course here he's talking about in Matthew chapter 5, in that great passage where he's, he's giving these, these beautiful sermons, but he talks about giving to people. He talks about blessing people. He, he talks about even blessing people who use us in a bad way, who abuse us. Who despitefully use us, those who would persecute us, those who uh, just are not nice to us. He tells us even them we are to bless. How much more should we be blessing those that we do love and those that are people who are kind to us? And he goes on to talk about that, that you know, everybody does that, and that's good. He said even the publicans, even people that you look down on, even people that are despised in our society, they can, even they can handle uh, blessing and giving to others. Uh, but he said, no, you need to go beyond that. He, he said, you need to take this blessing out to uh, a level that is not human. 
because there at the end he says, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. What's the context of, of the perfection here that God is demonstrating and that God is demanding? The context is giving to others. In another place, Jesus said, if you have two coats and somebody needs one of them, give it to them. Well, I might need that other one later on, right? That's kind of our answer to it in our hearts most of the time. I have this because I need it. Well, maybe. Or it may be that you have it because God wants to use you as a channel, as we sung about earlier, for someone else. Romans chapter 12, and this, this is, a, this is a, a powerful chapter. You know that this chapter starts, you, you remember, you think back in your mind, this chapter starts out talking about how we're to present our bodies to God a living sacrifice. And then he goes on with these other instructions. This is all in the idea of the command that we are blessed in order to be a blessing and that we are to bless others because we've been blessed. He comes down here to chapter, uh, in chapter 9 to verse 12 and he says, let love be without dissimulation. Well, that word dissimulation in our English language is a word that comes from a, a neat Greek compound word, actually without dissimulation, it's all one word, they jammed them together, that's pretty cool. You know, if you get a, a word and you put A on the front of it, it makes it a negative, right? So in this case, that's what we have, we have the word hypocrisy, and then the letter A on the front of it. We don't have an English word, a hypocrite, <laughs> in that sense. That would be non-hypocrite. But that's exactly what the Bible's talking about here. Let love be without any kind of hypocrisy. No falseness. Let it be real. Let it be true. If you're going to love, do it this way. And he says, here's some ways. Here's some things we need to do. Abhor that which is evil. Cling to that which is good. Very general statement. Stay away from evil. Hold on to good, right? Be kindly affectioned one, uh, one to another with brotherly love. He goes on to say, in honor, preferring one another. Now we're getting a little more specific in the sense that we've been blessed. We've been given huge and wonderful and tremendous blessings. And what are those blessings supposed to be in our lives for? <laughs> well, if we're going to prefer one another, we're not going to be so concerned about what I want or what I need, but we're going to look at the needs of others, are we not? He says, we, oh boy, now we've even, got to be, we've even got to be giving and we've got to bless in our work? Come on. God is unreasonable sometimes, isn't he? No, but if we're to give to our employer, if we're to give to our business that which it truly deserves, and it is a blessing, it's an opportunity that we have to bless, bless someone else. We're to be fervent in spirit, whatever you do. I mean, if, if it's not worth doing all the way, what's the point in doing it, right? And you may have limitations in how you can do certain things. But when you take hold of something to do it, the Bible's very clear about this. You need to just do it. I, the, the, uh, the ensemble that came and sang, I, 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 I love that song that they sang, and I love the way they did it, too. There's, there's those little nuances in music, you know, where they're singing quieter here and louder here, and, and we can see that clearly. But the thing I like to see when someone's actually singing praise to God is that intensity, even if you're singing quietly, even if you're singing, singing something calmly, even if it's something that's just in your heart, but the intensity is there, the reality of it. There's no show, there's no hypocrisy, there's no religious form, it's just reality. That's what the Bible talks about that we're to bless others with. That blessed me this morning. I hope it was a blessing to you as well. It blessed me that they would take their time and, and practice the song and work it up and then come up here and sing it with just all of their heart. Isn't that wonderful? It's, that encourages me in the Lord. Serving the Lord. We're to serve the Lord in all of these things. We're to rejoice 
in hope. When was the last time someone knew that you were on your way to heaven? I mean somebody outside of here, okay? When was the last time that somebody could say, you're always talking about heaven and God and those kinds of things? I'm not saying you have to be some sort of religious nut, you know? But, but people ought to be able to tell that there's something going on, right? I think uh, rejoicing, we have a little trouble with that. I, I, I'm, I'm beginning to think that the issue is, you know, these smile lines. If you smile too much, you get wrinkles. And I don't know, maybe a lot of Christians want to make sure they look good in the casket. I don't know what it is. <laughs> They're kind of... <laughs> You know, moping their way to the grave. I don't know. Because you want to make, I mean, let's, let's face it, that's one of our big goals, right? Look good in the, look good in the casket. So, okay, so don't smile. That's fine. Don't, don't rejoice. Don't be happy in what the Lord has given you to hope in. How can you be there? How can you even, I mean, I get down. <laughs> you know, I get discouraged on occasion. And you might catch me at that moment and not see a smile on my face. I'm not that big of a smiler anyway. But, <laughs> but you, might, you might catch me like that. But our day-to-day life ought to be one where people see us rejoicing in the hope that we have. You may not rejoice in your circumstances. We, we are supposed to. And I know sometimes it's just not easy to do. But could we not, even in that moment... Take a glance down through the rest of time that we have given to us in the Word of God and see the blessed and wonderful hope that we have. That one day, that same Savior who died on the cross to save me is coming to take me back to be with Him. And there I'll be with Him forever. I can rejoice in that no matter what my circumstances are at this moment. We need to be patient in tribulation. Isn't it a blessing when someone who's going through tribulation, again, gives a testimony of just settled faith in God? I don't understand everything that's going on. I know not why these things happen, but one thing I do know, I know in whom I've believed. I know he's able keep what I've deposited in him for all of eternity. And that gives us a patience, that gives us a settledness, that gives us an ability to endure and to continue on and to not quit. People need to see that. That, that, that will bless you. It's, have you ever been blessed by someone like that? I have, many, many times. We need to continue, it says, instant in prayer. We all know the verses that Paul wrote to Timothy about being instant in season and out of season as to preaching the word. And the word here is the same idea of being ready to pray, being prepared, being uh, 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 observant to the needs that people have and be ready to just go to the Lord in prayer immediately. What a blessing it is when people pray for you. What a blessing it is when they come to you and say, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you. We, we have these blessings in us. We have these abilities in us. We have others praying for us. It accumulates into us, and then we should be channels of those blessings as well. We should distribute to the necessity of the saints. That's talking about the, the household of God. We're talking about our own congregation, folks that we know of who are also believers when they come into hard times. And, and I, I think this church is very good about that. Uh, but we need to keep that in mind that we are a family. 
that we need to take care of one another. We have to be given to hospitality. That's an attitude of, I want to give. I want to bless. I want to help. We need to bless them again. He goes back and does this one again. He quotes Jesus here. And that's kind of cheating, isn't it? But <laughs> bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Oh, my. I, I, okay. I can distribute to the necessity of the saints. I'll help those that are like me. Um, you know, I'm given to hospitality when it comes to the people in my church, the people in my community. Uh, but when people start to persecute me, I'm not saying it's easy, folks. I'm just saying that's what God demands of us. This is a command. He says to rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. What a, what a great summary of all of these ideas coming down through here. It's to be empathetic, to be there, to be involved when someone needs you, to, to bless when someone needs a blessing, to take all of the wonderful things that God has given you and be willing and ready to transmit them to others. Um, so, <laughs> the blessings. Sometimes we bless with our mouth, sometimes we don't bless with our mouths. Uh, James talks about these kinds of things a lot, and he says the, the tongue no man can tame. It's an unruly evil. It's full of all kinds of deadly poisons. And then what do we do? We come in and we bless God with our mouth. We say great things about God, and then someone does, someone cuts us off on the road, or someone just does something we don't like. And all of a sudden, we're not so much in the blessing mood, are we? And even within our own families sometimes, and even within, within this family context, we forget and we can be sharp. and We can be harsh. That's not what we're called to. That's not what we're commanded to do. Uh, we can hurt people with our mouth or we can greatly, greatly bless people. The decision is ours. It's a command. It is a command. As I said, we tend to rebel against commands. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> Make some suggestions. You know, God doesn't need to do that because he already knows what is right. In every situation, he knows exactly what we ought to do. Why would he have to make, you know, give us a list? Maybe you should do this or this. That's not the way it works. If you're omniscient, you know everything. <laughs> you don't have to do that. I tell my wife that all the time. She doesn't listen. Um, <laughs> I know everything, right? <laughs> I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. <laughs> but following a command of God is never a negative thing. We get the feeling it is. Our humanity, our human nature rebels against it. And we, we see it as something that is ah, it's harsh. It's hard. But it's never a negative thing to follow a command of God. Jesus said here in Matthew chapter 20, 23, speaking to the multitude and to his disciples, he talks about the scribes and the Pharisees. He talks about those religious ones. Now this is what's harsh. This is what's heavy. This is what's negative. When people want to put on you some sort of burden... And religion has a tendency to do that. I mean, let's be honest. It doesn't have to, but it has a tendency to go there many times. People get together, and they may base things off of the Word of God, but then they may kind of spread out from what the Word of God actually says and begin to make their own uh, style of, uh, of, of worship or whatever you want to call it. They may even come up with their own rules. Sometimes they'll come up with their own rules about how you can be saved and how you can go to heaven. Or maybe you'll have to spend time in some other intermediate place and then God will decide whether you actually get into heaven or not later on after you're dead. And they come up with all of these ideas. And Jesus said, now look, when, when they're teaching what Moses actually said, <laughs> see, Moses was a prophet of God. When, when, when they're teaching that, listen to them. I know, I know, they're, they're, they've got some real issues. But when they're teaching Moses, just go ahead and, and do that. 
But what they're doing, all that nonsense that they're doing that they've added on, don't worry about that stuff. And they'll even say, they won't even do it themselves most of the time. It's just so harsh. It's so rough. It's so hard to do. It's so burdensome. Do as I say and not as I do is what the Pharisees and the scribes were doing. And Jesus said, you don't need to do that. All they're doing is trying to lay on you heavy burdens and they're trying to uh, put them on your shoulders and they won't even come along and try to help you with it. Is that the command of God? Is that the way that we're to, to follow the commands of God? This is not God's system. God's system is this. By this we know we love the children of God when we love God and we keep his commandments. It's just a matter of, we do it because we love God. He said to do it. We know he's right. We find it in his word, not in our own man-made system, but we find it in his word, and we know that this is right. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. So let me say this. If it is a command of God for you to be a blessing to others with that which you have been blessed, that's a lot of syntax there, isn't it? (laughs) But if that is actually a command of God, it's not going to be burdensome for you. I promise you it's not. We talked in Sunday school, my Sunday school class this morning about something. It's a principle that the, the, the will of God in one area will never be in conflict with the will of God in another area. It's not going to happen. Is God going to demand too much of you in this area of blessing others with what he's blessed you? No, it's not going to happen. He knows you have responsibilities in all these different areas. I use the example. I'm a husband. I'm married. I, I have responsibilities to my wife, to my family, these kinds of things. I'm here as assistant pastor in the church. I have certain responsibilities here. I have other things that I, in which I have responsibilities. If there's conflict between those things, it's not God's fault. Okay, It can't be. It, it only means that either I don't have the balance right or something is not God's will that's in my life. One of those two things. God's commandments are not grievous. God is not going to demand of us things that are going to cause us harm. It's just never going to happen. But, having said that, the following a command of God is never a negative thing, but it might require of you a sacrifice. Ooh, that sounds negative. God's commanding of me. God's demanding certain things of me. I already don't care for that. I don't like to be told what to do. And now you're telling me that it might even imply sacrifice on my part? I certainly don't enjoy that sound. All right? But if we get to Hebrews chapter 12, and it tells us to look at Jesus, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy was there that took him on the path to die a cruel death on a cross to be ridiculed of men and to take your sin and my sin upon himself. None of these things could we ever consider to be joyous things. But what joy was there set before him that allowed him to take each step along that path and follow the will of his father. That joy was knowing that that sacrifice that he was making would be efficient and efficacious to save 
every human being who would in faith call out to him and ask for him to save them. The joy of that gave him the strength and gave him the the endurance to keep going. He endured the contradiction of sinners against himself. And then he gives us this little tidbit at the end, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Do we ever get wearied in well-doing? We do sometimes, don't we? We get to a point of, well, I need, well, I need, and God's demanding too much, and God's asking too much of me. And it might be in any area of your life. It might be in any area of your life. But you feel the demands are too much. And, well, let me just ask you, you think God will ever require of you the sacrifice he required of his son? He will not. He will not. Thankfully, that's been done for us once and for all. So when we become weary in this, when we begin, become, we begin to think that this is a burden on us, then, that God's expecting too much of me. God's asking too much of me. I've given uh, as much money as I could possibly consider to give. I've given as much of my time and my efforts in and, and, and the cause of Christ that I could possibly give, and it's becoming a burden. A couple of things to remember. There is no conflict within the will of God, and we have not reached this level of sacrifice by any means. It's also a call, and, and, and I put this in, and, and, and I find it in the Scriptures, and I find that a call to us maybe gives us a little better sense than just a command. Does that make any sense to you at all? A command is one thing, right? When you're commanded to do something, it's sort of out of your hands. It's like, I've been told to do this, so okay, I'm going to do it. But if you feel a call to do something, it's kind of a different matter, isn't it? Like, I know in my heart, I understand that this is something that I have been gifted and given the opportunity to do. That makes it a little easier, doesn't it? We take the command. We accept the command. We can't run from the command. But at the same time, it helps us to know that this is a calling from God, a call that's made according to, first of all, according to his sovereign will. He chooses a lot of things, doesn't he, in his sovereignty. We have an example in, uh, in Abraham or Abram back before he got his name changed. And Hebrews talks about it and, and talks about the fact that he was called to go and he, he did it. <laughs> God told him to get up and go and he went. He didn't know where he was going. And he never even got, a, he never even got his own city. He never even took possession really of anything. He was just a wandering nomad for his whole life. He got into the promised land and he was in and out and things were happening there, but he never saw the fulfillment really of some of the promises of God. He definitely didn't see the final fulfillments of the promises given to him, but he was called. He was called of God to do something, to get up and to go. And the call was based on a promise from God. A calling and a promise all at the same time. God had spoken to him and told him to get up and go. And he said, here's what's going to happen if you'll do this. If you'll just obey me, (laughs) this is more than just my commandment to you. I'm also going to give you a promise right along with it. In my sovereign will, I've chosen you, Abram. You're the one. And you're going to become a nation. I'm going to make out of you a great nation. It's going to be big. And all the nations and all the families of the earth are going to be blessed by you. And they have been, haven't they? 
throughout history, the, the world has been blessed by this thing that God created. I mean, we got matzo balls and we got, lest we forget the bagel, I mean, come on. But, but way beyond anything like that, the nation of Israel was called through Abraham to be God's light in the world, to present his word and his will to everyone else in the world. What a great privilege they were given. They weren't the exclusive ones to whom salvation was offered, but they were to be the, the channel they were to be the, the, the ones who would get the message out to the rest of the world. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they failed at it, up and down, and all of these things, we know all of that. But ultimately, they were tremendously used of God to bless all of us, because through them, through him, came the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, through this line. So the promise of God and the call of God, there was purpose, there was direction, there was focus. And when we see that, it becomes a whole lot easier to accept the command, doesn't it? Abraham did what he was told because of the promises of God. By faith, he exercised belief that what God was saying is real, it's right, and it's going to take place. If I will just accept it, I'll be the one that God can use as the Lord had spoken to him. It's a call made according to God's sovereign will. It's a call that's perfected by obedience. Abram had the call. I, I, I have to say that as far as I can determine, he could have refused the call and God would have called someone else. It's just my understanding of things. Uh, I don't believe God forced him into it. He called him. He said, do this. And Abraham believed God. He had faith in God and said, this is going to happen. God promised me these things. It's going to be that way. And so I'm going to go. There was another who heeded his call the Lord Jesus Christ himself. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 5, though he were a son, yet he learned, learned he obedience. It doesn't mean that he didn't obey beforehand. It just means that every step along the way, as it talks about here, the sufferings that he went through, the different stages of things in this earthly life, gave him opportunity every time to accept the call of God or at least in our minds, to reject the call of God. And his obedience was perfected. His obedience was brought forward at every step of the way. And in the same way, when God calls us through the author of our eternal salvation, when he calls us into this blessing of others, it's the same idea. We have the opportunities. They come. They can be perfected or they can be rejected. We have the choice. Obedience is the very best way <laughs> to show that you believe, isn't it? Story of the rich young ruler. We all know the story very well, I'm sure. Rich young man came to Jesus and he's like, I, I need to have eternal life. Wow. Wouldn't you love as a, as a child of God to have people coming to you and saying, what do I do? How do I get saved? How do I, you know? It doesn't happen a lot that people just come to you like that. That'd be great, right? It happened. Of course, Jesus was well known at this point, what, what he was doing, what he was preaching. And the young man came to him and said, Master, what, what do I have to do? I, something's missing. I don't have eternal life. I know this. I can, I can understand that I don't. And Jesus said, you need to keep the commandments. And, and he said, well, I've done that. And he's, he's like, which ones do I need to keep? And Jesus went through the list there, right? What did he say? No, don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself, which kind of sums up the whole uh, tail end of the list of the commandments, right? 
Do you notice a commandment missing from this list that Jesus gave? The very first commandment is not mentioned in that listing. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, the Lord said. Jesus left that one out. Now, Jesus knows everything, okay? He knew what the young man was thinking. He knew where the young man was. We don't have that privilege of knowing what other people know, okay? But in this case, he did know. <laughs> and so he, he just left that out on purpose. What a wonderful technique. <laughs> he left that out on purpose. And the young man said, I've done all of that. And Jesus brought him down to the one. This is the one you're missing. You want eternal life? Here's the one you're missing. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He didn't put it in those, that minute, in those, those exact words. But the young man obviously understood what was being said because Jesus said, here's what I need you to do. Take everything you got, go sell it, give all the money to the poor. What an, what, what an expression. We read that he went away sorrowful <laughs> for he had great possessions. How many times have you heard somebody say, I am so sad I got so much stuff. <laughs> I got so much this is horrible. <laughs> That's not really a normal thing we hear. But this young man went away sorrowful because he had many possessions instead of having God. He had all that he needed. He even kept the other commandments. He's doing really well. But he knew there was something missing because he said, yet what lack I yet? What lack I yet? I've done all of those things. What am I missing? And Jesus said, you're missing having God in first place in your life. You're missing having Jehovah as your God. You've let this other stuff become your God. That's what's missing. That's your problem. It's a command to bless others with that which we have been blessed. It's a call. But it also needs to be a culture. It needs to be, what's a culture? I don't know. What's a culture? This is a pretty good definition, I guess. You can come up with a lot of different ways to stay. Those of us who've been missionaries, we deal with this culture issue a lot. They were talking about, uh, Pastor Art was talking about the culture of the Native Americans out in Arizona, and it is strikingly different from middle Pennsylvania, for example. It just is, you know. And uh, you deal with these things, and it's, it becomes an issue, and it's how do I even... Fit in, let alone communicate God's truth to these people. Culture, it says here, refers to the cumulative deposit of knowledge, experience, beliefs, values, attitudes, meanings, hierarchies, religion, notions of time, role, space, all these big things, right? Constance with the universe and material objects and possessions acquired by a group of people in the course of generations through individual and group striving. That's a big fancy bunch of words. But it, it has to do with our life our experience around us, an accumulation many times over generations of the way things are done, <laughs> the way things are thought about. I've probably said this a number of times with my son-in-law who's Portuguese and I don't always think the same. I love him, but there are times that I look at him and I say, Portuguese people think this way. And he goes, yes. And I go, why? <laughs> and he goes, why not? <laughs> and I say, I don't understand it. He says, I know. 
Are they right and I'm wrong? Am I right and they're wrong? Eh, sometimes a little of each, or most of the time neither. <laughs> most of the time it's just different. <laughs> you know, most of the time. There are times. <laughs> but I don't think like them. After all those years, almost 30 years living there, I still don't really think like them. I don't have the, the whatever you want to call it, <laughs> the baggage <laughs> This probably sounds like a negative thing, and it, it a lot of times is, but the baggage of their culture. I have the baggage of American culture primarily, and there's a, there's a lot of heavy baggage in there a lot of times, right? But my, my culture is my way of seeing things, my way of reacting to things around me, my way of thinking about things. It, it, the things that we learn, the things that we see, both from our families and from other things within our, within our experience, these things shape our philosophy of life. What's a philosophy? That's your way of thinking about things. That's what you consider. And our philosophy determines our practice. The way you see things is going to make a big difference in how you react to things. It always does. You can like it or not, it just does. And you can go to different parts of even just the United States. You know this well. Big inner cities, urban places, you, everything in between. You go out west, there's a different mindset. We were in Alaska. I grew up there. We were there recently for quite a while, and I forgot <laughs> how weird those people are. <laughs> I'm one of them. I'm sorry. But, uh, wow, they're so independent-minded and, and so, you know, I can do everything. I need no one's help kind of idea. Not everybody, but that's the, that's the vast majority. People are either made that way because they grew up in that or they go there because that's the way they want to be you know so it's but that's the culture there and it's a shock our children came up and visited and they're like it's like being in the old wild west you know it's it's crazy up here and it kind of is a little bit you know but it's differences in culture and it determines what we do for good or bad the way we think about things determines our culture that which we are the combined total of everything that we are influences exactly what we do. Isaiah had this for his culture. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me I will, will I seek thee early. For when thy judgments are in the earth, when there's a culture of God's word going out from me and from those around me, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. I wonder, do we have a culture that really blesses within our number, but especially outside of our number? I wonder if that's our actual culture. Let me just ask you to consider Romans 8, 9, and 10. We won't go there. It's a huge, long passage. But when you get there, you find the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew. <laughs> that was his culture, okay? We find him begging the Jewish people to accept the Messiah, to accept Christ as their Savior, to the point where he was so concerned about it that he said, if it was even possible for me to lose my salvation in order for Israel to be saved, I'd be willing to do that. That went against the culture that he was raised in, very much so. The culture there was the other way around. We're right, conformed to this. And Paul said, I've learned through all of this that he's right. We must conform to him. And he begged his people to do so. What's your culture today? What is your culture today? Are you American by culture? I'm not saying that's wrong. 
not saying that's right. There are elements of all cultures, I think, that have things that we probably ought to consider as to whether or not they should continue. There are definitely elements of our culture that I think are counter to the truth of the Word of God. The biggest one, and this was brought up to me even this morning in conversation with someone, and I agree, agreed then and I agree now, is just our selfishness. We're thinking about number one most of the time. As an individual, and sometimes even as a country, I'll bring that out. The United States is right. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. We've been given a great privilege in this country. Whew, so many great privileges in this country. Based on some choices. I'm not denying that. But also based on the sovereign will of God. Let's not take that out of it. What are we doing with them as a, as a people, as a nation? But we've been given great, wonderful blessings and privileges as a church here in this place and as individuals. What are we doing with them? What culture is really affecting our philosophy? What culture is really determining how we think about things and what we will do then based on how we think about things? Is it the American culture, some other culture, or is it the culture of the family of God? What's the first thing that comes to our mind? when we receive a blessing from God. More for me. <laughs> and There's so many areas that it applies to. More for me. Or could it possibly get a little better if we were to say, God, thank you for this opportunity to be a blessing to someone else. That's the culture of Christianity. That's the culture that God would have us instill in our lives above all other cultures.